Hello everyone, welcome back to For the Girls. We have so much to discuss in this episode. I had the absolute best time in Miami, as you might have seen on our socials. It was just absolutely unbelievable. I got to do a hot lap in a McLaren and hang out with the McLaren team a bit. It was insane, so can't wait to get into it. I'm Sarah. I'm Chessa. And I'm Tiggy. Okay, so for our main takeaways, first, I think just have to say thank you guys all for the support around the Oscar interview. Truly, just your DMs, your comments were so genuinely happy and supportive and really made our week. So thank you for that. And all of you who listen and engage and rate the podcast make these things happen. So we're just beyond uh, grateful for all of you. So thank you for that. For the race weekend, I feel like Miami actually put on a pretty good show for its second year. It was yeah. a super exciting quality. It was a fun starting grid. The race was a pretty fun one with tire strategy. Who would have thought that the hards would have been so strong? We'll dive into all of that discussion. But amazing drive for Max, obviously. But for how exciting the starting grid was, the podium was predictable with the usual sub- subjects. We didn't really have any events or big surprises during the race. Apparently, this was only like the 13th Grand Prix in F1 history to have no DNFs. And what? We didn't even have a yellow flag. It was like very, very quiet <laughs> in terms of events. But we did still get some exciting midfield battles, interesting strategy, like we said, clean racing. But for me, like the feeling of impending inevitability or doom, exactly. if, if you're not a Max fan, uh, with Max just charging through the field made some of that feel a little bit inconsequential, but fun nonetheless. Yeah. I think for me, I have to stop being disappointed that this is basically just Max's world and we're all living in it. Like I need to just <laughs> accept the fact. Um, yeah. To get to your point, I was definitely hoping for more of a mix up given all of the shenanigans and quality. But at this point, I think we just need to expect and accept that Max is going to race his way back to P1. No Haas is ever going to be able to hold him back, even though I was like <laughs> praying. <laughs> um, what a Haas was holding Ferrari back, so that was fun at least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I did have the best weekend living through our Queen Sarah watching her partake in all of the finer things that Miami had to offer. <laughs> yes, it was so fun. As a Red Bull fan, I loved it, but I especially kind of loved having a bit of teammate drama, even if it was only for a couple laps. We were sitting at the end of the first DRS straight going into turn 11 and 12. So we could see if we looked left, we could see all the way down the first um, DRS zone and then going into turns 11 and 12. And so there was amazing overtaking there, which was great. So some of the Haas Ferrari action, I saw some K-Mag and Charles battles up close a sentence we don't normally say, <laughs> um, some Lance overtaking. It was, there were just some amazing passes around there. So yeah, I think even though it ended up being a classic max charge to the field, there was still some great midfield overtaking and performances. All right. We have to dive into your experience. Chessa and I have so many questions. We just want to hear all about it. Tell us about like Friday. You had a huge day. What was the paddock club like? All of it. Yes. Okay. I am just still not over it. Like best (laughs) weekend ever. So Heineken, which is a title sponsor of Formula One, was so nice to invite us to the Paddock Club on Friday. And that was just absolutely unreal. The Paddock Club in Miami is now a whole new three-story 
structure. It's a permanent structure now. And the paddock itself is on the football field, like where the NFL plays. But the paddock club is kind of a three-level structure that overlooks the pit lane and all the garages. So it has a bunch of suites and everything. So Heineken has a suite. You could walk out and like see right above the McLaren garage, which was very fortuitous placement for us. And then Heineken also has a relationship with Daniel Ricardo. So Danny came kind of towards the end of the day and talked to everyone. And he was exactly how you would think he is in person. (laughs) But just a couple things he said were so funny. So he said he's really liking the break from racing. He said, as you might expect, kind of his favorite off-track Formula One memory was after winning Monaco in 2018, which I think he said before, but he said just his experience of going back to the team, how happy everyone was, was like one of his all-time best memories. Mm. He's excited for Vegas. He said one time he was there for (laughs) two weeks and that they recognized him not from being an F1 driver, just from being a Vegas person. (laughs) Interesting. Being a Bills fan. (laughs) (laughs) He said, which is funny, He said he has a really nice relationship with Max and that Max is super aggressive when the helmet's on, but he said when the helmet's off, like kind of off track, he said he's just like a nice guy who likes a cuddle. Sarah, is that music to your ears? (laughs) (laughs) I was feeling very vindicated because as we all know, one of my theories is that Max is a bit misunderstood. So he was basically like (laughs) off track, Max is a softie. Another one, he said he was asked about his top five bands. Top five is kind of a lot. I know. And some of them were obviously like kind of obscure, way too cool for me. But the last one, he said verbatim, he's like, I have to throw in T-Swizzle. Oh, boy. And then he made an Alonzo joke. (laughs) He did? Classic. Um, So that was funny. And I'm I'm just so – Still so not over the weekend. I'm trying to even like... Wait, tell us about the hot lap. How did that even conspire? Okay, so as everyone knows, we interviewed Oscar last week and the McLaren communications people are so nice. Everyone at Team McLaren is amazing. So they had kind of said, we'll be in touch. Maybe kind of something will come up this weekend. And so the hot lap opportunity came up on Friday. And so someone came and grabbed me from the paddock club it all happened so fast. I went down and met them. Shout out to Saskia and Tom from McLaren. Um, everyone there is awesome. And so went down into kind of by all the team garages. There's a little Pirelli hot laps garage. And so you go in, kind of talking to everyone. The McLaren people hung out with me. I was very nervous because I had no <laughs> idea what to expect. You get your helmet and everything, walk out. It was my first time ever being in the paddock, being that close, where I was just taking it all in. And then you actually walk out onto the track on the start finish straight. We're standing there on the side. There's little signs for the cars. And then the cars pull up and take different people and you're just kind of standing there waiting. And so I was in a lime green McLaren. It was just... (laughs) Butterfly doors and everything. Exactly. Unreal. (laughs) So... First, I saw a McLaren team member go before me, and he survived. He came out smiling, so it was feeling (laughs) 
feeling like people were kind of saying, oh, do you get motion sick, whatever. Oh, my God. I would never like, uh... (laughs) Yuck, sometimes. So I was definitely a little nervous. There's a British race car driver, Duncan Tappy, who was driving, who was amazing. He was super nice. He is – the McLaren people told me that he was like Lando's coach. He drove – to the track with Lando one day. So he has a close relationship with McLaren. So it all happened so fast. One McLaren guy got out. They put the helmet on me, checked the helmet, helped me get into the car. In your heels and dress. In your dress. (laughs) Yes. I also, to everyone, feel the need to clarify that I was not expecting this to happen (laughs) when I got dressed in the morning. That's not what race car drivers wear. (laughs) So, yeah, as I was getting into the car in this incredibly unpractical outfit, they kind of buckled me in. And one thing I was thinking as I was getting buckled in, it's a regular seatbelt. I saw that. Even though you're all strapped in, you have the helmet, there's like a crazy steering wheel. It's not like a normal car, but it's a normal seatbelt. So I was kind of thinking, okay, we're off. Like, (laughs) let's see. I think the first thing I noticed when you accelerate on the main straight first, like on the start finish street, it felt like a roller coaster, like getting up to full speed. Stomach, what was top speed? Stomach drop, everything. I don't know. I think some of the McLaren people posted after I'm still get, gonna get the onboards, which has the speed, but the McLaren people said it was like 160 to 170 in their video. Wow. After. <laughs> that's but crazy. One thing that's so crazy is on the streets, I feel like you don't notice it as much it's really in the braking zones and the corners yeah it's how is the g-force crazy. the braking was so light so i was not sitting up straight for any of the terms any of the turns <laughs> like i was fully either against the window or like leaning against the guy this is also to blur i'm excited to get on boards because I'm i can't wait absolutely <laughs> you crazy. just blacked out for two minutes <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well someone dm'd us commenting like on the video of you getting out of the car how shaky you were yeah, because the adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, so it was crazy. Just, it was unreal. So the it's just so late on the brakes, and then we're kind of drifting a little bit in some of the corners, and then would accelerate so fast. And I think it was just a once in a lifetime experience. I'm so grateful, to McLaren, actually getting to see what the track is like because obviously we can see this on TV, but it's so narrow at parts, which I was not wow. fully appreciating and so again what Tiki was saying about this being such a clean race with no DNFs no safety cars anything even for a driver in P18 it's an unreal feat that they can just finish the race I mean of course they're professionals this is their job but having to judge the braking points so exactly for 57 laps it's just unbelievable I mean, just look at like Charles's mistakes and quality and everything. Like, it's not an easy track. Exactly. He was one of the best drivers in the world. Yeah. And then on the last street, there was an Aston Martin ahead of us. And he's like, okay, we're going for the overtake. No. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So he just like pedaled to the metal and fully on the back, really, really long straight. We just fully overtook an Aston Martin. That's so fun. Wow, Sarah. So my face in that is for like, oh my gosh. And then we got back. I got out of the car. As you all see from the video, I was like, what planet am I existing on? (laughs) Saskia from McLaren took that video of me as I was getting out. Just, yeah, a ton of adrenaline. After that was she brought me back to the paddock on the field to McLaren Hospitality to kind of have a coffee, recover, have a chat. So (laughs) unreal seeing that. 
Also, great coffee and McLaren hospitality. So, <laughs> and Sarah would know she's a coffee Shout snob. Out. Exactly. Yeah. Love that for them. Sarah, I'm so curious how Miami felt. I know we weren't at Miami last year, but we could like kind of see it from TV and like all the hype. Did it feel just as crazy the second year around? Definitely. I think it feels like a huge, high energy kind of party atmosphere, as you'd expect. I think there was a ton of energy in the grandstands. A ton of Checo support. Absolutely. Of course. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. My grandstand was going absolutely wild when Checo got pole. I think overall, one thing that seems a little different from Austin, which is my point of comparison, again, about kind of just how big of a production it is. There's so much hospitality and so much kind of event space all around the track that even kind of go, I went on a nice long walk on Sunday before the race walked all the way down to the marina and all the way back and every single different part of the track had kind of huge down by the marina there's Ferrari Mercedes McLaren have these three-story hospitality party houses there's rows of Ferraris outside the house for people to look at wow DJs there was a DJ already in the back of the Mercedes hospitality house just these huge structures everywhere so I think it's Yeah, definitely a party atmosphere, just an absolutely massive event. That's so great. So cool. So cool. All right, should we dive into the the race and everything and our thoughts? Should we start with MVPs? Jessa, what do you got? All right, so yes, I will start and I will do my MVPs. Okay, interesting MVP for me this weekend is the Alpines. I think what I think they've recovered a little bit from their quote dumpster fire weekend from before and they both finished in the point so I was happy to see them improving a little bit yeah we'll talk about the Alpine CEO's comments it's I can't believe it it's pretty wild yeah (laughs) for me Max is such an obvious one so have to give him a shout out but I'm also gonna give it to Lewis for the P13 to P6 drive, it's definitely not as glamorous as P9 to P1, but pretty amazing that he came out in P13 on lap 38 of the race. So like late pit stop and then he yeah. took P6 in less than 20 laps. So big shout out to him and just being able to manage the car. George too, obviously doing such a great job with that car. And I got to see kind of, he had, I posted this on our story, he had an unbelievable yes. overtake of Charles going into turn 11 was so late on the brakes. I could not believe you saw that and caught that on video live. That was so cool because I was watching it from home and I was like, that is like the best overtake ever. And then I saw it live. Yeah, so cool. it was. And they're just so fast coming down the straight, breaking so late. It was crazy. For me, I have to go with the Red Bulls and I have to give it to both of them because I think Checo put on an amazing performance, great quality, great race. I think it goes to show just what he's up against when you have when you're racing against a driver who can go from P9 to podium position in like 10 laps and make it look easy. I think it's just such a higher expectation workload on Checo compared to kind of other teams. So, I'm really impressed with his drive. I'm also really impressed that they were able to go wheel to wheel and keep it super clean. That both drivers said after that was super clean. We know the priority is the team not making contact. I was nervous about that the entire race. I was wondering <laughs> if it was going to turn into like a Red Bull wreck Alonzo win situation. Even given that Max and 
Danny now seem to get along really well. And even they weren't able to stop from crashing when they were teammates. So I was really impressed by that. Yeah, that was, there was one moment there where it was really close and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's going to happen. And then they just sailed through. Okay, Sarah, how about your LVP? I'm kind of just sad for Alfa Romeo generally. I think (laughs) a bit of an improvement for Botas this weekend, but still I feel like they're just not really in the conversation. I'd love to see more from them. I'm such a big Botas fan. I just want to feel like he's getting the car that he deserves. For me, I think it's hard to pick an LVP. It felt like a pretty wholesome weekend all the way around. Um, I think Sargent had a tough go of it, so I'll give him that, but not for lack of trying. Poor guy. I'm still rooting for him. <laughs> yes. Uh, for me, similar theme with DeVries, just the lockup early and running into the back of Lando, which ruined his race. I think that was pretty tough. Um, and just seeing how Yuki's performing in the same car just like puts it in a little bit more perspective. Um, and then a special shout out to the medium tires for really sucking on this track <laughs> <laughs> in an unexpected way. For how our hot takes held up, I think I said Alonso was going to win, which was hot, but there was a chance. There was a chance and good for him to get on the podium there. So uh, yeah, not the best, but. For me, I had Signs and Leclerc both on podium. Merp. They were fifth and seventh, so not even that close. So not great for Ferrari either. At least Signs started in podium position. I think I probably said a non-Red Bull winning. I think yeah. you said something about Stroll, didn't you? Maybe. I feel like I've constantly had a Stroll hot take of like Stroll for podium, which certainly did not happen. But he had some nice overtakes. He had some love from from his um, older brother slash dad, Alonzo. So (laughs) older brother slash dad, normal relationship for sure. (laughs) You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacovas is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. Okay, so diving into practice and then the quality and then the race. So just a quick note on the track. So we mentioned this during our preview, but it was completely resurfaced this year because apparently they had done a lot of water blasting last year, which had ruined parts of the track. People were complaining about the surface. So not to get too into the weeds, but the water blasting is supposed to help remove the oil from the top layer of the asphalt and help improve grip. So they did not do that this year. And so there was definitely some difficulty with the grip and the track started off pretty tough to navigate. People were sliding around, but it it improved over the course of the weekend. And the organizers said that they think the track surface will just continue to age like fine wine and get better. So (laughs) yeah, it'll get nice and rubbered in. Yeah. I forgot what turn it was, but Checo said there was one I think it was seven and eight that driving offline was like ice. He said you just couldn't yeah. even go oh off the line. 
Wow. So jumping into practice, FP1 track temps were 51 degrees Celsius, almost 124 degrees Fahrenheit. Crazy. But we had an exciting start to the weekend for Mercedes, who ended FP1 in first and second with Russell ahead of Hamilton. FP2 was the Red Bull and Ferrari show, um, despite Leclerc bringing out the red flag when he oversteered into the barriers at turn seven with only 10 minutes left. So we ended this session with Max in P1, followed by Carlos and Charles. Checo was half a second off the pace in P4, and then we had Alonso and Lando in five and six. And then to wrap up practice with FP3, again, all Red Bull and Ferrari, we had Max P1, then Charles, Checo, and Sainz running in the top four. And then in a saving grace moment for Alpine, we had Alcon and Gasly in fifth and sixth. For Quali, there were super hot conditions. Drivers were being told to do multiple cool laps for their tires. There were also strong gusts of wind through the first sector. Christian called it a lottery through that section. Interesting. Traffic was also rough for Quali. Lots of complaints about that on the radio. And I also saw that I had posted on our story going into turns 11 and 12 at points during Quali when in the last couple of minutes when people were trying to get in their final flying lap, there was a ton of traffic. And again, about how hot it was, it was sweltering this weekend. <laughs> so I cannot imagine being in that suit and being in the car just insane. So for Q1, it was a very stressful Q1 for both Mercedes and McLaren. The only drivers really who looked safe the entire time were Red Bull and Leclerc, essentially. George and Lewis were in the drop zone with a minute to go, and Mercedes has never had two cars go out in Q1 of Quali. And they didn't, but it was looking (laughs) potentially uh, tough there. They did make it through, but just squeezed through. DeVries made it into Q2 ahead of Yuki, which was a surprise, but that was exciting for him. So in the end, we had Lando, Yuki, Stroll, Piastri, and Logan Sargent out. So really sad about the McLarens. Pretty big surprise with Stroll, too, and tough for Sargent at his home Grand Prix starting last. And yeah, in in Lando's interview afterwards, he basically just said that the car isn't much different than before, that it's going to take them a while before they're competing for Q3s and whatnot. So that was pretty tough. But keep the faith. Things are coming. Yes. Keep the faith. (laughs) For For Q2, the track was definitely improving for this session. Mercedes looking a slow and then a big, big shocker. Hamilton didn't make it into Q3. He has never failed to qualify outside of the top six in the U.S. Um, He had some oversteer moments and was definitely sliding around. So Q2, we had Albon, Hulkenberg, Hamilton, Joe, and DeVries out. And for Q3, like Sarah said, the wind started to pick up here big time. We had 15 kilometers per hour winds and something the drivers and performance engineers were talking about a lot on the radios over the weekend, just something that they had to factor in. But it was fun to see seven different teams in Q3 on his first go. Alonso set fastest lap behind Checo on used tires. Very, very impressive as always for him. Charles locked up, locked up on his first lap. So he only set the sixth fastest time. And then he also touched the wall at turn 16 on his second lap. And then he went into the barriers on his third flying lap. And that's what really brought out the red flag. Ended the session early. He had a lot of mistakes, but it was a saving grace for a lot of teams. Um, Some people didn't get to do their flying laps. So it was kind of a mess up for a lot of drivers that we were expecting to see kind of running in the top five here. So our finishing order was Checo, Alonso, Sainz, K-Mag, Gasly, George, Charles, Ocon, Max, and Botas. So K-Mag, <laughs> yeah, he was definitely really excited about his P4. He, he was, was like, very, yeah! 
<laughs> yeah, I was not going to try to replicate that. Thank it's, you. It's very well done, Diggy. <laughs> it was so cute. I loved that. <laughs> we love a Haas wholesome moment. It really fills my cup. <laughs> For Alonso on the on the post-race or post-quality interview, he said the balance of the car was perfect. He enjoyed every lap. He's definitely reveling in in the Aston Martin success these days. Um, And like Sarah said, um, the crowd went insane for Checo. So we love that. We love that. And then definitely not what Max was expecting at P9 and then obviously Lewis at P13. Wow. So it was definitely going to be a fun starting grid. And I think I speak for all of us when I say we had a little hope for a crazy race. Um, We haven't talked about K-Mag's Chipotle moment. Oh, I love that. I love that. People who know me know I love Chipotle, but like that just was so funny. (laughs) And the way that he ate it to his face, he was was fully acting it out. He was like, mmm, delicious. (laughs) I have a criticism on his bites though. His bites were just like cheese and lettuce. He wasn't scooping down into the bottom. So He's probably not an experienced Chipotle eater. Yeah, that's right. Maybe we should send him some tips. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's get into the race. I think first, as Americans, we need to talk about this NFL-style walkout. Oh, my God. Conducted by Will I Am, announced by LL Cool J. Each driver had his own, like, intro walkout spectacle. What do we think of the entire spectacle there? (laughs) I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on the American spin or whatever you want to call it. Like, it was just getting a little cringy. I know, kind of imagining everyone watching in Europe, like, please, Americans, <laughs> do less. <laughs> I also really have to defer to the drivers here where both Max, Checo, and Alonso were all asked about it in the post-race press conference. And George also commented on it where they basically said, drivers are already expected to do so much. They have the driver's parade. They've been doing a ton of Miami press. And then when they're trying to focus and get ready for the race, being expected to be in their race suit in 85 degree weather an hour or 30 minutes early to do an NFL walkout is just a lot to ask. They were all basically saying they weren't into it. Max, of course, made a comment of like, I just want to talk to my race engineer and like put on my helmet and get in my car and drive. And Alonzo made a comment too of like, it's too much to do this at every race, but then we also don't want it just seemed like the American fans are more important, like the fans at other tracks deserve the spectacle too. So I'm not the biggest oh, fan. That's an interesting point. I'm not sure the other fans at other tracks want that spectacle, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> They're there for the racing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty cringe. I think if the drivers don't like it, which they don't, although Lewis did say he loved it, so good for Lewis. It's a good sport. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably a lot. Like, if you're going to do that, then, like, don't do the driver parade. But everybody exactly. loves the driver parade. So, yeah, I think it's too much. In terms of, like, it in and of itself, I feel like, yeah, it's American. But, you know, like, they were waving. They were, like, at least having fun with it while they were doing it. So I don't think it's, like, oh, my God, these Americans. It's so stupid. Like, all these other sports do it. But, yeah, if the drivers don't like it. Let's let's get rid of it. <laughs> One thing that really stuck out to me just in terms of the toll on the drivers and getting to see the paddock was now that the team hospitalities are on the field, the garage areas are quite small. So they, I think, do a lot of the work. Like in McLaren Hospitality, there's a big room. There's a ton of screens for engineers. I think a lot happens back in the field area of hospitality. I saw... Zach Brown and Stella just 
Excel is just sitting and eating his lunch in hospitality. And <laughs> but drivers have to power walk, which I saw several of them doing from kind of the field all the way back through this kind of interior big area where there's a ton of people, which is still restricted access, but still a lot of people there all the way through another driver zone to get out then through the paddock again, past 10 people to get to the garages. So I just can't imagine like the level of stimulation they're dealing with all weekend. They were all power walking with a bunch of people like mid walk, stopping them for selfies. So just (laughs) a lot for them. One of the comments I saw about why they did that walkout in America is that they needed to like introduce the drivers to people in America <laughs> in a better way uh, because not everyone there. Oh my God. I, I, maybe that's just like an assumption. But Maybe they should just hand out like little programs or something. Sheesh. Okay. <laughs> Let's jump into the race highlights. So I think overall the race started with very interesting tire strategies. Almost everyone was on mediums except for the McLarens on softs. And Verstappen, Hamilton, and a few others on hard. So Checo started on mediums, obviously, presumably to get a good start, keep P1, while Max could afford to start on the hards from P9 and then just manage them really well, charge through the field, and hold on as long as possible. Um, And in the end, hards proved to be the best tire on the track given the conditions. Although in an interview, it was interesting, Horner was commenting, like, we ran all the different scenarios and predictions, and, like, Checo should have started on mediums. Like, we'll hold to that strategy, despite like Hards definitely winning out for the whole weekend as a whole. Um, but Chago had a great start. He pulled away from Alonso. Botas passed Max on the start to get into P8. And then we had that contact between DeVries and Lando, which definitely put Lando back. And then Chago was dropping pace, looking after his front right tire, but he was able to extend over Alonso to three plus seconds pretty on, pretty early on, which is pretty decent. And then Max was already in P6 on lap six. Absolutely wild, just setting fastest lap after fastest lap. K-Mag sadly dropped to P7 from P4 by then as well, but K-Mag was putting up some valiant fights in that half, Mm -hmm. so I was proud of him. There was a Max-George battle for a few laps, and then Max had a pretty easy pass of Russell. He was in P4 by lap 10, and then (laughs) and on hard hard tires, and then he was in podium position by lap 14. And then on lap 15, had just a pretty easy pass of Alonzo to get into P2, just absolutely flying through the field. <laughs> so then Checo pitted on lap 21 for hards. It was a 2.2 second pit stop. And I think the commentators said at that point that Checo has the fastest eight pit stops for Red Bull, Let's which is go, crazy. baby. Then Carlos Sainz was sadly given a five second penalty lap 23 for speeding in the pit lane. Uh, Lewis and Max both still hadn't pitted by lap 37. So then Lewis pitted on lap 38 with a 2.5 second stop, came back out on track at P13. And Max just continued to extend his lead over Checo, even on 40 plus lap tires. (laughs) We were like, when is Max going to pit? When is Max going to pit? So finally they pitted him on lap 45 out of 57. Insane. He had a 3.1 second pit stop, which was almost a second behind Checo's. So he came out behind Checo, but didn't end up mattering. He was on like faster tires and uh, just had the pace. So passed him soon after that. Um, There were a lot of frustrated radios, like Albon was complaining about pushing in his tires, Stroll was telling his engineer he needs to be communicating more, Hamilton was complaining about some bouncing, heat also probably got to a lot of these drivers, just what Sarah was saying, it was just sweltering. 
So yeah, it was, I mean, despite it being a clean race, there was definitely some, some drama and frustration. Yeah. We got to get into those Aston Martin radios. That was the gift that kept on giving this race. (laughs) So finishing order, we'll go by team after this, but we had for the top 10, Max, Checo, Alonso on podium, then Russell, Sainz, Hamilton, Leclerc, Gasly, Ocon, and K-Mag rounding out that final point. Big weekend for the Alpines, like I said. All right, let's go into the team. So Red Bull headed into the weekend with their special livery reveal. It was very cool. They're holding a livery design competition for all the U.S. races. So for this weekend... Graphic design student Martina Andriano won this one. Uh, Red Bull had her in the garage for her first race ever. It was really amazing. And the livery was sick for for overall. I think for Red Bull, we know this, but it was domination for them on race day, especially Max. He won fastest lap, their fifth win in this season with another one-two. Announcers called it, quote, Miami nice for Red Bull. Certainly the case. (laughs) There's only four times in F1 history that a driver has started in P9 and finished first. Unsurprising, Max was able to pull this off, but very, very impressive. His pace is insane. And with his win in Miami, he's now tied the record with Vettel for most wins in a Red Bull at 38. And he's just, I feel like he's just starting out. This is wild. Um, Yeah, there was a lot of commentary about that because Vettel obviously has more championships, but people are like Max through 2026 with these regulations staying the same. Yeah. We think Max is going to get five championships in a row. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I think he's just – it's a matter of time. Yeah. Um, And we had some interesting commentary from the announcers about how quiet Checo's radio was about the battle with Max, whereas on Max's radio, it was all about like his relative position to Checo. So just something interesting to note there. Yeah, it's funny. Like they were, the commentators were saying that during the race coverage, but then I saw a Twitter thread on this that was basically disproving that, and they were laying out all the communications between Hugh Bird and Checo vis-a-vis Max, which is interesting. Like I don't know if that was selective coverage or not, but I will say their relationship this weekend, both on and off the track, seemed very healthy. So I think that was good. They had it was just like clean racing. It felt like. And this extends the gap between Max and Checo for points. So Max is at 119 now, Checo at 105. Still close, but not as much of a nail biter. So a bit of a debate here. Did Max have the better strategy? Could they have put Checo on hards at the start? Was that feasible? I think for me, I think they made the right calls. I think no, it was no one knew how badly the mediums were gonna perform. So there is a component of luck here of Max getting lucky, but starting, as we said, you can start from the back on hards with the goal of kind of trying to outlast the field as long as possible, get in some clean air when other people pit, but you can't start a race from pole on hards with yeah. Ferraris and Aston Martins around you. Like it's just not gonna work. Yeah, and Christian, like we said, Christian said that they were seeing starting on mediums as the best strategy regardless. So, yeah, it would have been really unusual for him to start on hards. And I don't think it really came down to strategy at the end of the day. Like, I think Max definitely was on a better tire, but there was an element of luck, as Sarah said. And just the difference between starting on pole and starting in P9 and P9 winning, like his pace was just insane, even with a pit stop almost a second slower than Checo's. So, as sad as it is to say, like we all love a good strategy excuse, but I really don't think that was the make or break here. Exactly. I think even if you're on a worse strategy, if your teammate starts in P9 and you start on pole, you should be able to beat your teammate. <laughs> yeah. 
I know. I'm sorry, Jessa. Harsh but fair. <laughs> and the last thing on Red Bull was Elon Musk was in the Red Bull garage this weekend, and he made some comments about doing the race with electric cars versus these fuel hybrid cars, which is effectively Formula E. So astute comments. <laughs> <laughs> For Ferrari, so signs we had P5, Leclerc P7, which is where he started, but his P7 didn't really feel representative of the journey <laughs> it took him on to finish there. <laughs> it was a frustrating race for him. He, But he did drop, in, in good news, I guess, for people who are into his music, his second single called MIA 23, 1-1-2. So at least there's that. And I personally like this one better than the I first I think he's going to drop so an album for every race and call it like, I mean, Miami 23. He had the Australia 23. How does he have the time? I don't know. Wow. Good for him. His music is just so sad. Which- <laughs> just fits the mood I guess but it's just so sad imagining him coming back from these horrible race weekends composing very sad songs at his piano it's so funny so a bigger concern around Leclerc which we kind of talked about earlier but is just it's his resurgence of his propensity for errors we all had hoped he had largely come out of that since 2020 but He was pretty good last season. This weekend, it just felt like mistake after mistake from him. And it was the second quality in a row where he he had a big shunt. So one theory is that he's trying so hard to compensate for the lack of pace and the unbalance in the car that he's just like slipping up and making errors. He said after the race that we have a car that's so incredibly difficult to be on the limit. And it's just apparently their biggest problem is just the consistency and unpredictable over and understeer and just like not being able to to know what to expect it was also not the best race for signs who started on podium position and finished fifth on the bright side his pit lane speeding penalty did not really end up costing him any places since lewis finished more than five seconds behind him but nonetheless not the best for mercedes it was a really impressive p4 from george and an amazing drive from hamilton for p13 to p6 For George, he started P6 and really got the most out of the car, which he's gotten so good at doing. It's a bit of a specialty. Love just singing on the radio. That's how we (laughs) roll when he passed signs for P4. So good. (laughs) And then on lap 32, Russell was behind Hamilton. And on the radio, Mercedes told Hamilton not to fight George on the pass and that his battle focus was was with Ocon. And then Hamilton responded he can go by, but I'm not backing up, though. Russell then passed, and then radio. thank you very much. Much appreciated. The manners on this team Two British so funny. <laughs> Only so rivaling funny. Aston Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and we already talked about Lewis's recovery drive a bit, but just so impressive with no DNFs and no safety car and teams generally performing really well for him to make up seven places. That's amazing. He just had to make up all of those places on pure merit. He had an amazing overtake of Charles late in the race on lap 55 to get into P6, which I saw live, as we said, on the first, at the end of the first DRS zone. He just had so much speed going into the corner. It was amazing. And then each Mercedes driver finished in front of a Ferrari. So that's helpful for them and constructors. And they've promised a big upgrade for Imola, maybe heading in a new direction with the suspension and other body work. So hopefully this is going to get them into a better place. 
Toto just continues to try and manage expectations, though. He's like, he's I've never seen a silver bullet introduced in F1 in my entire career that unlocks like a second of performance. But he basically just said that the goal is to have a more stable car without as many aspects that they don't understand. Because I think in, similar to what we were saying about Ferrari, just inconsistency has been a big theme for them with the W13 and W14. They just never know what it's to crazy expect, that you really. Can- Total whipping in on the scooter, though, ready to go be a Harvard <laughs> professor. I loved that picture of him and Susie. It was so cute. <laughs> For Alpine, my team of the weekend, they had a double points finish, uh, which they really badly needed. So we had Gasly P8, Ocon P9. And like we said earlier, so these results came off of comments from the Alpine CEO, Laurent Rossi, basically slamming the team on Canal Plus, which is like the channel, before <laughs> Quali, saying that the performance has been, quote, amateurish, and that there's a, quote, state of mind that's not up to the team's past standards. And he topped it off with, quote, our position in the standings is not worthy of the resources we spend. So, ugh. And he added in, which hurt me after being such an Otmar fan post Drive yeah. to Survive. He was like, I brought an Otmar to turn around this team and that is not well, happening. Well, Otmar responded and said that those types of comments don't put added pressure on them and that they're all professionals and want to do well and are just putting the pressure on themselves. So stick it to him, Otmar. Way to go. He also didn't say that he understood the motivation behind Rossi's comments and then maybe Rossi's comments are laying the groundwork for changes of the team and maybe is just trying to direct criticism away from himself. So who knows? For McLaren, as we said, a sad weekend for them. Lando reiterated just the car isn't where they want to be, that it's going to take more than an upgrade or two to fight where they want to be. And that definitely showed in the race. I think they're having some drag problems. That's a continued issue. And then on top of the soft tire, Gamble not working out at the start. Lando caught the short end of the stick with the DeVries contact. So he sustained damage that cost him like at least the estimate was 0.2 or 0.3 seconds per lap. So basically just had to nurse that the whole race at the start. Piastri did gain like five places in the first two laps, but since they started on softs, then they double stacked them on lap six for hards and had to, had to manage that. But Oscar was also apparently managing a brake issue during the race and Andrea Stella, the, the team principal was talking about that after the race and said that, Oscar managed to show incredible maturity throughout, despite being, you know, only in his fifth race and having to to deal with that at the back of the pack. Some good news for them is that Gil de Ferran, their former sporting director, is coming back to help consult for them, which is really good news because last time he came back to McLaren to to help, he helped them rise to P3 in constructors in 2020. So hoping he has the magic touch again. And then similar to the Elon in in the Red Bull garage, we had Bezos in the McLaren garage, and Sarah warmed up the car for him for yeah, you his did. hot lap. <laughs> for Alfa Romeo, it was P13 for Botas and P16 for Joe. Even though Botas finished outside the points, it was great to see him get into Q3. They definitely showed a bit of improvement in quality. And despite finishing outside the points, Botas got what he could out of the car, especially considering that there were no retirements or incidents. He had made up a few places in the points after starting in P10, but didn't have the pace to stay up there. Joe had some difficulty breaking up that long DRS train, and they are focused on bringing upgrades to Imola. So I'm personally super excited to see what they can do. I've been disappointed in Alfa Romeo so far this season, and Botas deserves all the best of everything. We're huge so. Botas stands over <laughs> here. We're waiting, waiting for him to have his breakthrough. 
for Aston Martin. So at this point for Alonso, it's four podiums out of five races. Incredible for him. But he's just he did say that the race was a little bit lonely for him. And it's insane though, but for him, four podiums is more than he's gotten in his last seven seasons combined. So he's definitely just living for this Crazy. moment. He continued his good guy antics like we've dropped hints about this entire episode during the race. <laughs> he was basically watching Stroll on the car, on the screens while he was driving and radioed in and was like, what position is Lance? He had a nice move in to turn one. He's just flexing at this point, <laughs> but I'll take it. He's yeah. peacocking. He knows. <laughs> so he definitely didn't have the pace to keep up with the Red Bulls, but the Aston Martin has the pace to definitely beat Mercedes and Ferrari at this stage. So they're happy with that. On on Stroll's side, he had a bit of a tougher weekend. He didn't make it into Q3 for the first time this season, but he did manage to make his way up to P12 from P18. So good effort from him as well. His radio, though, I think that was also potentially these two Aston Martin yeah. radios were both runners up for Radio of the Week. I don't know the exact quote, but his radio was like, you have to tell me more. Like, where am I? What's the lap time? What's the difference? <laughs> yeah, he was frustrated. He was just not getting the communication he needed for the last few teams here. So Alpha Tauri, Yuki started P17, finished P11. So that was amazing. Not quite in the points, but still a great drive. He has finished in P10 or P11 consistently this entire season, and a lot of people are commending him for being able to do that in one of, if arguably not the slowest car on the grid. So especially when we compare that to DeVries and his performance so far, he's had a really rough start. So Yuki is looking great. Um, Yeah, so Imola is AlphaTauri's home race, so let's hope for good vibes up next. For Haas, K-Mag finished P10 in the points, as we said. Super happy for him on that. Overall, Haas had a pretty decent weekend. They were very much, you know, in the mix for practice and beyond. And they've scored in three out of five races so far. So very much hoping they can keep up that consistency. And to round it out for the teams, Williams, Logan's home race. Again, sad to see him start in P20. He had to pit super early for a new front wing and hard tires, which was a big bummer for him at home. But uh, on to the next. Uh, Alex was complaining about grip. He was cautioning also that the next few tracks don't suit their car very well. So their goal is really just to keep up with the others as much as possible. But again, we we have good feelings about Williams on this podcast, so hoping <laughs> they can keep charging. Let's jump into some news and headlines before we wrap up this episode. So the big announcement was at the F1 Accelerate Summit on Thursday in Miami, and it was that Brad Pitt will be driving an actual F1 car on the grid with the other drivers starting at Silverstone and then potentially for the rest of the season, and that the directors are entering an 11th team to film on track for the rest of the season. This was wild. Everyone was like very astonished. Obviously, it's since been walked back with the clarification that it'll be actually like an F2 or F3 car and it won't be during any official race sessions. The movie is going to be called Apex and Lewis has been in daily contact with Brad Pitt and the team advising on storyline, logistics, kind of with the mission of making this the most accurate F1 film ever. I do not know where he found where does he yeah, find? Yeah, where does he find the time? The it's time. insane. Um, but apparently the car that Brad Pitt will be driving was designed by Mercedes too. But I don't know. How have we not heard of this? How has this been kept under wraps for so long? Um, Stefano Domenicali had an interesting quote that all of the production would be very invasive, but with the right oversight will actually be a great way of showing that F1 never stops. So I guess that's the payoff. <laughs> 
the there were so many funny comments about Andretti like smashing doors and breaking <laughs> things. He's like Brad Pitt getting a team before before I do. Colton Herda actually tweeted, "Brad Pitt got a super license before me." <laughs> Tough. Oh man, this <laughs> hilarious. They're with the F two or F three car that Brad Pitt is driving in post production. They're gonna make oh, cool. it look like an F one oh, car, can't which wait. is crazy. So that's pretty sick. In other news, so GM, who, as we remember, is partnering with Andretti to hopefully enter F1, is evaluating entering as a power unit manufacturer starting in 2027. So their leadership made some comments about how involved GM wants to be technically and not just, quote, white labeling an engine, which is probably a dig at Ford, honestly. (laughs) Um, But if GM and Andretti are successful with their 2026 bid, they'll have to run a customer engine until 2027 because GM won't be able to supply for 2026 since the manufacturers are already locked in for the regulation changes for that year. Over the weekend, Hello Sunshine, Reese Witherspoon's media company, which is led by Sarah Hardin, made an announcement with Susie Wolf that they'd be teaming up with F1 to create a docu-series on F1 Academy, which is so exciting. The show will be in the Drive to Survive style and will follow all 15 female drivers and all five teams throughout the season. There isn't a name yet. Details are still being worked out, but this is so amazing, and we can't wait to see this and seeing female drivers get the attention and recognition that they deserve. And an update on the F1 Academy results from this weekend. Round two was held at Valencia in Spain, and there were three races over the course of the weekend. So a wild weekend for them. The first race, Hamda Alkabesi got her first win, followed by Nuria Marti and Lena Bueller. Then in race two, Bianca Bustamante of Prema Racing got her first win. Very exciting. And then P2 and P3 were Lana Bueller and Hamda Alkabesi. And then race three, Marta Garcia of Prima Racing took the win, followed by Maria Marti and Abby Pulling. So definitely some repeat performers there, but also a few different names in the mix. And for the next round, they head to Barcelona. The last piece of news we'll cover this week is the Park Femme protocols. They've been updated after the Alcon incident at Baku. So new regulations now say that teams, their guests, and mechanics heading to Park Firm have to stay clear of the pit lane until the last car has reached the checkered flag. Wow. That feels like it should have already been a thing, but <laughs> nice to have it in writing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so just to wrap up here, Radio of the Week, I call that simply bleeping beautiful for Max. Have to concur on that. For the standings, we have for drivers, Max at 119, Checo at 105, Alonso 75, Lewis 56, Carlos 44, George 40, Charles 34, Stroll 27. Constructors, Red Bull has a whopping 224 points, Aston Martin in second with 102, Mercedes 96, so close battle there, Ferrari 78, and McLaren and Alpine are now tied with 14. So no race this weekend, but we do have a triple header after that, starting with Emilia Romagna, so we will catch you for a preview then. (laughs) 